Welcome to the Well-Nurtured Brain, where we delve into the exciting world of brain health. Every episode, we bring the latest research and expert insights on mental and neurological health and offer practical tips and strategies on how to nurture your brain and optimize its function. From mental wellness to neurological health, we'll cover it all so you can become skilled in the care and feeding of the most important organ in your body, the one that makes you you, your brain. Welcome to episode 19 of The Well-Nurtured Brain. I'm your host, Dr. Pamela Hutchison, naturopathic doctor with over 20 years of clinical practice supporting folks with mental health and neurological challenges live healthy lives. I got the amazing privilege to speak in front of a group of 55-year and older intellectuals recently. I was presenting on approaches to neurocognitive wellness over the lifespan, particularly looking at neurological reserve and how we can maintain it over time. And I got to the point where I was talking about leafy green vegetables and how important they are for staving off cognitive decline over time. And of course, talking about the Martha Claire Moore study that I'm going to quote in just a moment here. And when I mentioned that the population in that cohort that had excellent outcomes in terms of delayed cognitive decline, that they were eating 1.3 servings a day of leafy greens, the room erupted in laughter. And honestly, in the moment, I didn't actually understand it. And so I asked somebody afterwards why everybody laughed when I said that. And they said, well, because none of us are doing that. That's really hard to do. Now, I, at the time, I already knew I was going to be doing this podcast episode, but it really underlined to me how important it is because people do find it hard to meet the standard that was found in Martha Claire Morris's 2018 neurology article titled Nutrients and Bioactives in Leafy Green Vegetables and Cognitive Decline. That is a study where they looked at 960 people aged 58 to 99 years of age between 2004 and 2012, and they did food frequency questionnaires, and they did various measures, cognitive testing to neuropsychiatric testing to establish cognitive decline or lack of, basically cognitive capacity, and they did find a correlation between the best performing people and leafy green consumption. Leafy green consumption was positively and significantly associated with a slower rate of cognitive decline. This study is famous for the next quote from it, which is that the cognitive decline difference between the lowest quintile, so the people that were eating the least amount of leafy green vegetables, which was nearly zero, And the highest quintile, so the groups of people that were eating the most vegetables on average, most leafy green vegetables, was calculated to be 11 years. 11 years, that is a big difference in cognitive decline. Their brains were 11 years younger, in a sense, or 11 years healthier than the people who were eating next to no leafy greens. So that serving of 1.3 servings per day. Full disclosure, to me, that actually doesn't sound like much, and I would have thought that it would take more. (laughs) But to the general population of people, getting 1.3 servings a day of leafy greens is actually challenging. And so to get to my topic of today's episode, when something's hard like that, 
what happens is there's an opportunity for someone to create a product. And today we're talking about greens powders because I get this question quite often. Are greens powders an appropriate way to be sure that you get your greens every day? And I want to go through the thought and the various logic behind my answers to these questions with more detail than I can ever have time to do in an appointment. And I'm hoping that this provides people with also a framework for how to critique other products out there that might be making certain health claims. Because I think we often will hear these health claims made with tremendous amounts of confidence And if we are not in our critical minds, we can very easily, because it's health-related, very easily want that to be true. And next thing you know, we're spending $140 a month on greens, on a greens powder. So let's start with just a comparison of what the heck is the difference between getting your greens, your leafy greens, from leafy green vegetables and getting them from a greens powder. So you probably first would do very well to know what on earth I'm talking about as a greens powder. And greens powders have been around for decades. They are generally a collection of dehydrated or juiced greens from various plants, wheatgrass or barley grass, but also spinach or kale. Often there's things like seaweed in there that they've juiced. And then that juice is freeze-dried or dehydrated and turned into a powder. Right away, when you hear that, you know that's been processed. That's been quite processed because they've taken the raw ingredient, they've taken the juice out of it, and then they've subjected the juice to additional processing to get it to the final product. Another thing, if you're really thinking this through, is that if greens products are processed this way and they're using mainly, and most do this, the the juice as the source for the greens part of it. Some of them do use like an algae, a blue-green algae as well, which is totally different. But these greens companies, they are processing out the fiber. And then often what they'll do is they'll reintroduce the fiber into the product from some other plant. So we've got this juiced and powdered, aka highly processed green vegetable. But to make it even more, what they think is to make it even more beneficial, they'll add a bunch of other ingredients in there. So as I mentioned, they add fiber back in, sometimes they add probiotics, they'll add vitamins, they'll add herbs. So comparing that product, which is just a mishmash, with a bunch of kale. The kale is one ingredient you're eating it in its original food matrix. So it hasn't been juiced, it hasn't been ground or refined, dried, subjected to low temperatures or higher temperatures for dehydration. Just hasn't had any of that processing done to it. And I think largely we would argue that less processing keeps more nutrients intact. I would also say that there's a difference between the way that our bodies respond to something that we chew versus something that we drink. And that's probably all I'll say about that other than to say that I think when we eat a crunchy vegetable, we're sending signals to our digestion that we don't send when we're, when we're swallowing something, a powder form. So there's some differences there. Another place to look for differences, and this gets into how we analyze any intervention when working with patients, 
who are looking for certain outcomes. We always want to do what that cost benefit or benefit risk analysis. And I'm going to start that analysis now that you understand the, the difference between the two things we're talking about with the actual costs, the dollar costs. So I was trying to understand, well, is there actually an economic benefit to greens powders? Maybe they are in some way creating value for people and that that might be something to consider when we're thinking about these products. So I looked at serving sizes and I'm decided to stick with kale because I think kale is a really great leafy green that ticks a whole bunch of boxes in terms of being a really good for you food. And the cost of a serving of kale right now in Canada is about 57 cents. That's that's a non-organic kale. So two servings of kale is $1.14. And then when I look at the range of cost for a serving of greens powders, it, it actually is quite a wide range. So there is a product out there right now that is getting a lot of airtime. It costs $4.67 a day. That's Canadian dollars to have serving of this particular product every day. And then there are other products out there in the market that are cheaper, and I've seen things down to about $1.17 per serving per day. So right off the top, most of these greens products will suggest that there's some level of equivalency between one serving of their product and two servings of vegetables. So that's why I included the two servings of kale to give you a comparator on the actual dollar costs. Kale still at two servings a day of kales is still cheaper than even the cheapest product, which was $1.17 that I found in my survey. I will grant them one thing though. One benefit of greens powders is that they are more convenient. It's really convenient to just take a scoop of powder, throw it into some water, shake it up in a shaker bottle and drink it. But we wouldn't want to sacrifice something like 11 years of slower cognitive decline for that level of convenience, or at least I think most people wouldn't. And so from the context of this situation, if we're just looking at would greens powders actually fulfill the same nutritional, create the same nutritional benefit as servings of leafy greens for cognitive decline, we're going to have to look at the science for that, right? When we look at the claims for greens powders, they have a huge list of things that they claim. And they keep their claims, understandably, really broad and nonspecific because legally they have to be careful because if they're operating in North America or Canada, there's some rules around what kind of claims you can make attached to a health product. But green powders companies will say things like, this is comprehensive nutrition, this will support your gut health, or this will support good digestion, or this is a quote unquote, a superfood. They will say convenient, and I have to give them that. This is definitely one of their claims that I can stand behind as well. Definitely convenient. They'll say things like this helps with fatigue or general well-being or it's immune support. All of those claims are hard to prove or disprove. And with the, I think maybe the exception of convenient, pretty hard to, to prove or disprove. Although the idea of comprehensive nutrition, if you took that seriously, there is no way that you would choose greens powders as the only food that you could bring if you were stranded on a deserted island. Nobody would do that. Everybody would pick lentils, kale, and olives. That's what you would bring, right? It's like a great 
nutritional strategy for that situation. We know it's not comprehensive nutrition. There's there's literally like 14 to 40 calories in there. So this, this is not comprehensive nutrition, but they say that and there's probably no consequence to them saying that. And in the fruit and vegetable world, like, I mean, there's lots of claims about fruits and vegetables having various health effects, but those claims are all based in science and research and epidemiological studies, not based on what might sound good or a marketing idea or based on just, we think it's going to do this because it does that in a petri dish or it does that in an animal. But my biggest pet peeve is really that they make some pretty decent health claims. Again, nonspecific. So I grant them they're not saying this will cure your Parkinson's disease or something like that. So they aren't irresponsible that way. Not, not at all. And I think some people do find that, that they feel better when they take these foods. So I'm not saying that green powders are evil and awful. But I am saying that they do offer themselves up as an alternative to eating your vegetables and especially your leafy green vegetables. But there is absolutely no evidence to show that there's any health benefit similar to what you get from eating the real thing. I dug into the research because I wanted to be able to say to you, well, I looked at these studies and this was the research that's been done on these greens powders. And I'm really sorry to tell you, or maybe I'm having a moment of schadenfreude here, that I found one study. And the study is from 2009. And it was published in the Journal of Chiropractic Medicine. So a nutritional study done by chiropractors at a chiropractic college in the States. No shade on chiropractors, just that it's not a strength of chiropractors to do nutritional research as far as I, I'm aware of. So these chiropractors at this chiropractic college in 2009 had 40 subjects that were recruited to the study. These were members of the faculty, members of the medical school, the chiropractic medical school. And they did a non-blinded controlled study looking at the vegetable supplement drink called nanogreens and its effect on blood pressure and heart rate variability. So it's not blinded. So essentially the people who were giving the people the greens drink as part of the study for 90 days and the people that were receiving the greens drink knew that they were the people getting the greens drink and the people that were not getting the greens drink knew that they were not getting a treatment because they didn't have a, a control that they could use that would essentially trick people into thinking they were also getting the treatment. So they did find that there was a reduction in systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure comparing the greens powder group to the control group. But as you can see, a study like this has got a really high risk of bias because when everybody knows what everybody's getting and it's not blinded, that becomes very vulnerable to bias essentially. But the kicker here is that one of the researchers was the owner of Biopharma Scientific out of San Diego, which is the maker of nanogreens. So the only study I could find was highly so many markers of risk of bias, and honestly, nothing else has been done. There's been a lot of research looking at green tea powder, like matcha, and its outcomes in health. But we're not seeing the green powders that are out there in the market today subjecting their product to rigorous scientific study to support its use as a viable alternative, let's say, to actually eating greens for the specific purposes of one or another health outcome like cognitive decline.
we compare that, there are enormous amount of data there is now to the consumption of large amounts of leafy greens to reducing neurodegenerative disease risk and a whole host of other problems. These are foods that have such significant benefits that I think there might be a harm here of people blindly thinking that they'll get the same benefits if they just have these greens powders. It's convenient, so why not, right? If it's more convenient and you're going to get this great benefit, why wouldn't you just, if you have the money, spend $140 a month and get your greens? But what if you're actually not getting that remarkable benefit that you thought you were? And right now there's no evidence to say that you are. And I have one other bone to pick with greens powders, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna back off. <laughs> but the other bone to pick is that a lot of them include something that I think is not responsible, or at least not responsible to include without disclosing exactly how much this is in your product. Because this can have health effects on people that are deleterious and problematic. It also can be a very good thing to have and it can also be very therapeutic. But I think this one would be wise to disclose exactly how much of it's in there and that's licorice root powder. So we see a lot of licorice root powder being used in these greens powders, probably for a few different reasons. One is that it does have a sweet flavor, and I think that that might be one of the reasons why they're using it to try to add a little bit of flavor to this product that otherwise is tasting like straw and grass. So that's probably part of it. But this is a herb that has some pretty potent effects in the body. Licorice root contains a substance called glycerizin. This gets processed by the human intestinal microbiome and becomes something in the bloodstream which performs a range of corticosteroid-like effects in the body and mineral corticoid effects in the body. There are cases of people who have developed hypertension after ongoing use of licorice root at a tea or in a supplement, and it also can cause, because of its mineral corticoid effects, sometimes it can cause a dangerous low in potassium. So if you have a population of people who want to be healthy and some of them are already taking medications that might be creating similar problems, like that might drive up their blood pressure or that might drop their potassium levels, and then they, because they want to be healthy, add in this greens powder and compound that risk or problem, we can have people show up in the hospital with hypokalemia or with hypertension. So this is the one thing that I think would be wise to, and I would advise the companies if they are at all listening, which I'm sure they're not, but if they were, I would advise them to really disclose how much is in there. They put all of these ingredients together in this proprietary formula kind of lingo, and I think that gets them out of having to basically report their proprietary recipe. And I understand that that's important so that you don't have people making your product willy-nilly and essentially losing your market share. But if you have a herb like licorice root in your product, it might be good to disclose that one and not just disclose that it's in there because they do, they do disclose that, but disclose how much because that's helpful for all the professionals out there that are trying to understand if that particular product is causing this person to be hypokalemic or to have hypertension. And that is a risk right there. That's a risk that a bunch of kale does not have. 
A bunch of kale is not going to cause hypokalemia and it certainly is not going to raise your blood pressure. The take home in my mind when I look at the benefits and risks of this is first of all, we have an ultra processed or highly processed food that costs more or food substance. It's not actually, I wouldn't say it's a food, it's a food product or it's a, it's a supplement costs more per serving than what it's meant to replace or what it's great intention is to, to replace. And it has no evidence for any benefits at all that are reliable compared to a huge amount of evidence to support the consumption of its rival. And we have some potential risks attached to it because of things that are in that product. I mentioned licorice root. There's a bunch of other things that they put in there. And because, again, we, it's hard to know how much of these things are in each different product, sometimes we really don't know what that person's getting into when they take it. And then the final point I want to make is that I think the most critical risk is actually the false sense of security. If you want the health outcomes of leafy greens and you decide to spend more money than you would spend on eating leafy greens, that we have, have a known benefit attached to them, and instead, for convenience sake, decide that you will have the greens powders instead, you're going to spend more, but you're expecting the same outcome, we can't say right now that you actually would get it. So if you want that 11-year advantage, that 11-year advantage in cognitive aging, by getting 1.3 servings or 1.3 cups of leafy greens every day, we can't say with any confidence at all that you would get that with a greens powder. It's not the same. In fact, it's vastly different. And there's no research. There's none. I gave you the one study that I could find where they actually looked at a health outcome related to the consumption of a greens powder. There may be other ones out there, but I did my best and I found one. And I think that's a pretty big risk. I want people to be able to make good health choices and choose health behaviors that are going to actually have solid outcomes for them over time. And when we're doing something like this, where the net and enormous or potentially significant benefit comes from steps that are done on a daily basis over a long period of time, we want to get it right. And so the final message here is that if you are attracted to the convenience of greens powders, I invite you to try to find a way to make greens as convenient as possible for yourself. You can look up recipes for green drinks that you can make with real kale, with real spinach. You can look at various ways to make salads that are quick and easy. There's ways to slip it into your cooking in a variety of ways. And all of that is actually really worth your time, worth it for yourself and a gift to yourself to get your skill set up on how to actually meet that 1.3 servings per day of leafy green vegetables. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I found it to be an interesting one to do because it's quite different from the other ones we've done, yet it is actually a subject of discussion really frequently in my office, and I never have the time to go into this much detail. So I'm really I'm really grateful for the opportunity to do this right now, and I hope that you've got some benefit out of it. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family please subscribe to the podcast. These are ways that you can support the podcast and help it continue on into the future. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the Well Nurtured Brain. 
Thanks so much for being here and for listening. And in the meantime, don't forget to be kind to your mind. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Well-Nurtured Brain. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe and share this podcast. Spread the word about brain health to your friends and family. They'll thank you. The content of this podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice, nor should it be considered as such. If something discussed today seems applicable to you, please seek the assistance of an appropriately licensed healthcare professional. Thanks again for listening.